loss helps us define our lives. By allowing grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. Get ready to be inspired, create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here's Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Darnell Lamont Walker. Darnell's an Emmy-nominated children's television writer who understands the power of representation and joy, creating content in hopes that all children get the opportunity to not only see themselves, but see how incredible they are and can be. Darnell's written for outstanding shows, including PBS Kids Work It Out, Wombats, Netflix's Karma's World, and Nickelodeon's Blues Clues and You. He's a death doula, helping individuals and communities move through grief and toward healing and happiness. Currently living between Chattahoochee National Forest of Georgia and Johannesburg, South Africa, Darnell's goal with his work is to continue to support children, adults, and whole communities around the world through building through the building of safe and happy spaces. Welcome, Darnell. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah. uh, it's a delight. Obviously, I uh, to you, obviously to you, I heard you speak at the Endwell conference uh, last November, and you touched my heart so deeply for so many reasons, um, which we'll which we'll talk about, of course. But um, I guess the way I might sum you up is is a uh, something you said. Uh, I simply didn't want anyone to be alone. <laughs> I can see that in the way that you are, um, uh, having watched your films, having engaged with what you've got online. Um, everything you do has that at the center. It seems to me. Absolutely. Uh, but maybe you could talk about all the different things you do, uh, two of which you brought to that conference, the kids' TV writing and the death dueling, uh, yeah. which some people would put far apart, which I do not. <laughs> she might have but you do other things, too, and they all are a part of this as well. So can you just start there? Yeah, absolutely. They there There is an intersection where they all meet. And, you know, as I said at the Inwell conference, it was it wasn't until a few years ago that i realized that where all of my life's work had this this thing in common you know helping people find happiness and joy and um realizing that there's still life and all these things can still happen but yes i i i do those two things the death doula and children's writing but also filmmaking i uh, became a documentary filmmaker in 2015 um, all by accident. It, like a lot of my life has happened by accident, but it all led to this one place, you know? Um, I, I made my first film, uh, Set Yourself on Fire. I mean, no, Seeking Asylum, sorry. Uh, Seeking Asylum um, when I was traveling around the world and I just had a camera and I stopped people on the street and asked a few questions and came home with a bunch of footage. Um, yeah, and I got into children's writing because I randomly, you know, someone sent me an application and said, you should apply to the Sesame program. And I'm thinking, I don't want to write for kids. And 
<laughs> I got in there and realized that this is where I should have been all this time, you know? Um, but yes, everything that I've done, everything I've created, I, I've created um, artist residencies in, in the places I've lived in Johannesburg and the Chattahoochee Forest, uh, currently working on one in Detroit, um, Los Angeles, where artists can come and create and feel safe um, while they create. Uh, and so, yeah, like all of these things have that one or two things in common, you know. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to look back and see the theme of your life, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it's great to see it. You know? I know from personal experience, you you see it more clearly in retrospect sometimes. Um, I've watched all your films that you that you have on your website, and um, one thing I appreciate a great deal is they're uh, they go for the they go towards the pain, they dig to the pain, and uh, I guess we could agree, but you'll tell me more. That um, if you don't, if you're not willing to dig into that, joy is diminished. Oh, absolutely, and I think that's the way to joy. You know, I, we have to work through, get through all of that because it, if we don't, it's still there. You know, it's like you said, it it, it will diminish that joy. It, you know, while you're experiencing the joy, that thought of but there's still this thing. So if we can dig through that pain and and work on how can we get rid of it completely or diminish that. That that's what should be diminished and. I, you know, my my work has really um, pushed toward that, and I'm really pushing people to recognize it and hoping to give them the tools. And you know, thankfully, with these with the projects that I've I've worked on, um, we have you know I've been able to talk to people who know firsthand, you know how how would how would happen for them. You know what tools they use to get through it, um, and it's it won't be the same for everyone. But being able to see people who survived it, you know, who faced the pain and survived it, and and made it to the other side, um, is amazing. And hopefully, people watch it and say, "Oh, I can do that too." I just have to figure out what what it is I need. You know, I've been um, connecting you in my mind with uh, a woman, Malkia Devish Cyril, who is currently writing a book on on um, grief practices as a skill for activism, and that's what I think about. You know, because um, it's true that those things really intrude if we don't deal with them when we're trying to work a change in in the culture and one thing you said that made me think of her um during during endwell um was about black grief you know I, I i don't like to generalize myself and i doubt you do either but it really rang so true for me and uh you said uh while you were flying from south africa to morocco you sat next to a man who asked what made black grief so different from the grief he a white man will experience when a loved one dies i told him black grief is different because it tends to be more communal it's also altogether too frequent and many times too soon and though grief is as natural as it is necessary black people are never given enough time to grieve one person or thing entirely before it's time to grieve another 
and in these spaces where I'm sitting with and comforting those at the end of their life and helping those left behind through their mourning, I know my purpose and I try to show up with gentleness, kindness, and empathy. I come to say the names of those who've died, share their stories, dance, listen to song lyrics, feed, invite them to beautiful places and say, I'm sitting outside. If you need me, I'm not going anywhere. And that just moved me so much when I heard it. It moves me every time I reread it. Yeah. Um, and I think to uh, to recognize that there are differences that are you know, all, all the clients I have who are people of color has ex have experienced more loss. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's you know, I got into this work at nine, you know, uh, and not, at, and at, the, at nine, it was, I wasn't saying I was a death doula or even knew what the work was. It was just, you know, again, looking back in hindsight. But, you know, that was, I think that was maybe the first, my first experience with death being that close. Um, but then once that happened, it became very frequent and it became, you know, I, uh, I had a cousin who came home to die soon after that. Um, I volunteered at a hospice after that. Um, and then friends, you know, and, and more family, um, began, you know, started dying and, and it, it is too frequent. I don't, I don't think I've, I think I feel sometimes I always say, I, I feel like I've been grieving since I was nine. You know, and it's at some point you want it to stop. But also, like I said, and, you know, what you just read, it's grief is natural and it is and it's necessary. And so finding ways to use that grief um, and this grief doesn't always have to look, you know, like the weeping, um, the weeping man. You know, I, I that's not how I grieve, um, but using it and making sure that no one is alone and um and using that thing but yeah it's it's it, it's very different in the community uh in the many communities that i recognize you know where i recognize myself and uh, yeah you know i i've mentioned before in this show that i'm in a gospel choir uh it's an interfaith gospel choir mm -hmm. and therefore we sing at a lot of funerals in black churches which is not an experience I would have had if I didn't join this choir, probably. Yeah. Um, and of of course, we can't generalize that to all. Uh, for instance, my my wife who died was black, but she was Catholic. You know that it, it, that wasn't her tradition, but um, it's louder. Uh, the yeah. the even the funerals in um, for my parents and you know. Uh, the white people in their life, very, very, very quiet. And I find it relieving to be in a loud funeral, honestly. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, like, even at a Black funeral, it's 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 a celebration. Um, there's a, it's a homegoing celebration. There's a celebration of life, um, a celebrate, you know, we celebrate how this person made it through. And through what you know, so many consider a hard life, and made it to the reward. So it's all of that, and and it's worth the noise and uh, the storytelling that comes with it. You know, you go to a repast, you go to the funeral, and the funerals are sometimes hard. They they can be very beautiful too, but a lot of times it's hard because this is the last. This is the last goodbye. You know, this is it. 
and your body is gone. And uh, but you get to the repast and it's it's so much love and it's so much laughter and storytelling and it's and it's amazing. I remember going to a um, to a Catholic funeral uh, many years ago um, and it was very quiet and I I I just didn't know what to do. It was I was like, do <laughs> we sit here? Okay. It's kind of awkward, huh? <laughs> it was very awkward. And, you know, strangely, thinking back, I think it was the the only time that's that's happened. Um, but I, I was. It was like a culture shock of sorts, you know. And uh, I appreciated it. But, you know, I, it made me say, oh, oh, I, I get it now. I get the other, you know, when I go to these... Um, funerals in, in my hometown that these black funerals and they're loud and they're and and the people are celebrating it's like oh I see that I see the difference yes I, I find it more mm-hmm. uh, more emptying in mm-hmm. a way a more yeah. recognition of what's actually going on at yeah. the moment <laughs> absolutely I, I want to talk some um so I was raising children when my wife died. The youngest one was not three, uh, around two and a half. And so I naturally connected your death doula work with your television writing work. I mean, it was just, ha, ah, a death doula who writes for kids, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean you've ever written about death and grieving for kids. And I was very curious about that because... Um, Uh, I'll tell a a short story. I have a grandson. At the time, he was probably five. He's 12 now. But he had a lot of death anxiety. He was very afraid everyone was going to die. And he was talking about it all the time. And his parents had talked with him. They're not, they don't shirk. But they thought me, the grief counselor, should talk to him. And so we sat down and we talked for a while. And then I said, you know, um, my wife died, and and I talk to her all the time, and I and I kind of consider her my guardian angel. You know, I kind of think she looks out for me, even though I don't know for sure. And I got out a picture and I showed it to the boy. Was fascinated. <laughs> he was not whatsoever afraid. He was incredibly relieved, and so um, that was my latest experience. I'd had earlier experiences. Um, mm-hmm that confirmed to me that kids can handle it. Oh, absolutely. Adults maybe can't, but kids can. But I wonder if there's a way you get to put that in your kids' writing because it's such an avoided subject with children. I, I Sadly, I don't. I, um, I don't get to put it in there. This year, I, I am determined to do so. I, I'm, um, I mean, even cutting out the middleman, I think the problem that I run into uh, is the sort of the the middleman, which is basically the studios and the content creating companies that say, well, let's let's not write about that, you know, like this, or, you know, simply the, some of the shows that I've worked for, it, it doesn't fit with what we're doing. What the show is. And it's yeah. fine. But there's some shows that it does. And, um, and I understand like when studios say, you know, we, we just want to get it right. We don't want to get it wrong because this is a topic that needs to be done right. And I don't, and, you know, I've said this time and time again, but I don't know if there is a way, it can't be wrong. 
this is because it's someone's story, right? And I think so this year I I I'm absolutely going to create more content for children around death. Um whether I have to whether it has to be, you know, a children's book or that that I publish myself or hopefully I can find a publisher that's very open to doing it. Um and but I would love to go to a studio and say, let's make a an episode because they say, oh, well, maybe the pet died. And it's like, no, but grandparents <laughs> and mothers and fathers die, too. And children die, too. Like I lost I, you know, I think my first friend died when I was 12. And, you know, and the school just said, you know, if you need to talk to someone, come to the guidance counselor. But no one else ever talked about it again. And every Which, once in a while, the message of that is this is this is bad, shameful, yeah, inappropriate. Yeah. You know, all exactly. the bad, all the bad messages um, come out of that place. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to link. So we all just lived through COVID for years and years and years. People are still dying of it. Um, almost no one has been left untouched. Mm-hmm. So the idea that kids can avoid death in this particular moment seems crazy, <laughs> literally crazy. Um, but there's, and people are working on this, but I hear what you're saying that it's very hard to get um, people who have the purse strings to recognize this would actually be welcomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would actually be uh, something that, that would increase our viewers, etc. Let's come back to kids and grief a little bit when we, when we, after the next break, we're, okay, we're ready. Yeah, because I think it's such a big subject. One I think about a lot for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the good grief page at voice America. You can follow me on Instagram like me on Facebook, you know, all the places. And to find Darnell Walker, you can go to Darnell, that's D-A-R-N-E-L-L, walker.com. Be back soon. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to goodgriefwithcheryl at gmail.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I've been talking with Darnell Walker about joy, death doula work, writing for children. And before the break, I said I wanted to talk more about the children subject. Um, of course, having being a parent and a grandparent, um, kids are a focus of attention for me. But also, uh, you said something in... Um, in something I read, maybe it was your your talk or somewhere else um, about how much easier it is to grow the humans that make for a good world than it is to repair the humans who've been hurt. Mm-hmm. I know I'm paraphrasing, but oh yeah, no, uh, that's a Frederick Douglass quote where it says it's easier to build children than it is to repair broken men. You know, and. Um, and that's exactly it. That's what I've been, uh, a lot of my work, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position to say yes only to projects that I really believe in, that I think are really helping to do that, to build amazing children so they'll grow into the adults that, you know, um, we don't have to repair or, you know, like, and I don't, or at least they know what to do for themselves when they get hurt. Precisely. (laughs) And it's, it's like, Oh, okay. What if we teach them this earlier? You know, and it's, there's so many things, you know, I have to to look at, you know, what I did, what I learned and what I didn't learn growing up and, and say, okay, how can I get this to kids earlier? How can I, you know, push this out earlier um, so they know. And it's it's a balance and it's work, um, but you know, it's 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 happening. You know, I feel as if a big part of that is is just giving kids support for having all their feelings, for how to have their feelings. Mm-hmm. But I know as a parent, that can get really difficult because there's you know, getting ready to go to school and work, there's, it's a busy life. Mm-hmm. And so it's not always the parents that can stop everything and welcome the feeling, if you will. No, so it feels to me like there has to be, of course, parents can get more comfortable with their own feelings. That helps a lot. But it's also the messages they get in the general culture, don't you think? Uh, Like from the choice to the shows you write and um, from books they read and 
um, just uh, that there's nothing wrong with it. There's what you do next, but having the feelings is great. Yeah, yeah you know, I I can honestly say, like, I I learned so much from my family, from my my parents. Um, you know, watching them, but I was always in the street. I was always out there in the world, you know? And so a lot of what I learned, <laughs> I picked up out there also. It was like, okay, cool. My mom, she laid the foundation, you know, but everything else was building on that. And I had to choose what to accept and what to say, oh, that, that's not real or whatever that is. Um, and we can't Make ignore- our own choices a little bit. Exactly. And we can't, you know, so often we want to ignore it and put it all on the parents, you know, when something goes wrong. And it's like, no, we we learned out there, you know, and all of these people are part of who I am now. And all of these things contributed to that. Um, and so, yeah, so I, we have to we have to push out work and whatever it is we do that really feeds the people um what they need, I'll say. I know several of your films, kind of moving to, to your filmmaker uh, aspect or your filmmaker work, um, they're really about trauma in my mind, both um, even that first film you mentioned where you traveled was um, a seeking asylum film. Um, from my view, I out of all the damage that's going on in the U.S. towards the Black community, um, you know, all the deaths, all the violence, etc. And um, it seemed as if you were naturally inclined to go to the heart of it, to, to really go to the pain of it. And I, so that's like, before you got to the seeding joy place entirely, right? You yeah. were you were investigating hurt and damage and trauma. Yep, yeah, and and not even so much, um, I mean, yeah, all my, I think. And where it goes after that, I'm aware oh, of that Absolutely. Too. Um, yeah. All my life, I've, I've been an activist my entire life. I, I've been doing the work for as long as I can remember. I mean, I was, you know, trying to create, you know, sit-ins in elementary school, but, um, again, a lot of it was just what's happening in this moment, what's happened, how can we keep it from happening later? And so for me, even making, um, you know, seeking asylum, it wasn't an intentional, it wasn't supposed to be a film. I don't know what it was supposed to be. Uh, that's just <laughs> it was an experiment, it. maybe. It originally. Experiment. Like I, I wasn't a filmmaker. I, you know, I was a writer who happened to have a camera. I was an activist who had a, cam a broken camera traveling through Europe, you know, asking Europeans, hey, you know, because of what's happening in America, if we came here, would you welcome us with open arms, you know? And, and I got home and just had a ton of footage and someone said, you should make a movie out of it. So I did. And then someone said, you should put it in a festival. And I did. And then someone said, oh, you're a documentary filmmaker? And I said, oh, oh. Yes, I am now, huh? I guess so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, it, and it's cra it's crazy how we become these things. You know, even making 
um, Outside the House, which is about mental health, which was born out of the Seeking Asylum film. Because I, you know, making that film, I realized that there were so many things that as Black folks, we weren't talking about um, as far as our mental health goes and being in America. And I made that. And it was kind of this moment where I put it up and then the next day someone says, oh, I didn't know you were a mental health advocate. And of course, I, I, I am. I, I never called my, I, not self-professed, no one ever called me that. It was just, if someone needed help, I had resources, you know. But now, because I had this film, someone called me this thing. And then the next thing I know, I met, you know, universities teaching psychology students how to build trust in Black communities. And I'm like, this is not what I do. And they're like, but somehow you've done it. And I'm like, oh. Well, and and that, having been in my profession for a long time, um, that is so needed because the bias in um, psych psychology training courses, let alone psychology training students, um, pretty massive. It, it's a very Western white discipline originally. Yeah. And um, so I, I appreciate that because um, that's not work I can do, obviously, to, to actually, um, I can do what I can do, but not, you've got a credibility of, of experience. Yeah. And, and that's what I've, you know, i I'm finding myself building on these days. It's, oh, yeah. And, and looking back, it's like, oh, I, I didn't, I wasn't that, but I became that, you know, even going back to being a death doula, it was, I've been doing the work since I was nine, but it wasn't the work. It was just, this is what I did, you know, and looking back. And then like, someone oh. named it to you. And then someone named it and it's like, oh, okay, sure. It doesn't, it doesn't change the work that I'm going to do, but it does help me lean into it even more and, and with a little more intention and maybe, maybe even more speed. It's like, oh. Well, now that I'm this, maybe I need to do this again and see how see what results I get. Uh, you know, instead of oh, let's I'll just go go about my life and when it happens, it happens. Now it's more. Let me see where I can be of use. So um, you sound uh, unusually intuition uh, informed. Um, okay. Maybe especially for a man. Uh, socialization wise, mm -hmm. how do you think that happened for you? How did you come to trust your intuition? Because every single thing you've told me came by way of intuition. You just felt like doing something and you did it. Yeah. And, and it's funny, my, I had a friend who said that the other day, they were like, you know what I like about you? It's you say you're going to do it and you do it. <laughs> I was like, does everyone not do that? Uh, but I, I think for me, um, it was absolutely my family, uh, my my mom, um, and my grandma. Like these people who really gave me freedom to figure things out, and I I mean I figured it out. You know, it was they trusted me enough to make proper to make proper choices, and I think early on they they recognized that in me, or saw something in me where they could trust it. And they just said, oh, you want to go into the world? Which at the time was my hometown and probably just a few blocks over. But it was like, you want to go over there? Go. 
and see what happens, but come back. And it's like, okay. So I go and I figure it out and I come back and everything's good. Uh, and, and that just stayed with me, you know, even I have a 19 year old son and I tried to, you know, when you, and, and I realized having a kid, how hard that must have been for them. <laughs> I, how much you know, trust it takes to send oh them out God. there. It's a dangerous world, even if you trust the kid. <laughs> you know, living in, in New York and just sending my son to the store three blocks away. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I can, if I can do this, but you got to do it. Just go and see, you know, and now that he's 19 and really in the world, he's in college now and really getting into the world, I'm realizing the stress that I must have put my my family under when I say, oh, they'll call me. And even now they'll call and say, oh, where are you? And like right now I'm in, you know, in, in Mexico because it's warm, but they're like, I'm in Mexico. Oh, and I hear the, you know, their voice trembling. Like, have, a, have a good time or oh, you know, I'm in El Salvador or wherever, have a good time. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my son, like if he, if I called him and he said he was somewhere, you know, completely random, I, I, I'd be nervous, but I have to let him, ex, you know, experiment with that. And um, so, yeah, it, it goes back to family and them allowing me the freedom to, to, to just be and figure it out. And I just want to acknowledge that is um, maybe a special challenge with how dangerous the world is for people of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they send you out there and say, he'll figure it out. Yes, but will you be safe? You know? and, and, you know, you hope, you know, especially coming from a family who who didn't travel, who didn't really get the chance to ex experience all this. So they really have no idea what's out there. You know, I think, you know, the advantage for my son is that I've done a lot of this. I've done a lot of this stuff that he may get into. And so it's like, you will probably be okay. You know, uh, my family, they were just like, I, you're probably going to die out there. And I'm like, yeah, probably. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. We'll We'll see. They you know? still trusted you to do your best with that. Yeah, I'm like, and I, I was never afraid to die. It was just like, okay, well, if it happens, just know that I was having fun when it when it happened. Um, but I do, I really appreciate them for that. Uh, and still, you know, it's 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 been a big part of my life, and I've seen um, how I benefited from from their grace in that. I, I've, I got the impression from all the films in particular, but also hearing you speak, that you have an intense curiosity about people. Mm -hmm. uh, because I could feel you in the background of all the films, <laughs> you know, that, that um, you really wanted to know people's stories. Yeah. And yes. uh, that must help in filmmaking, but also in writing, because you'd have to be curious about children to write for children, you know. Um, mm -hmm. How big a piece do you think curiosity plays? Oh, 100%. 100%. And everything that I've ever created. I'm a huge, my whole life, I've been a huge people watcher, uh, an observer. I, <clears throat> most of my motivation just comes from literally sitting somewhere and if I don't know what's going on, I will create the story, you know, uh, about it. Writing for kids, oh my gosh! I mean, you there when I first got into it, 
you know, my first job was at a preschool show and it took me a while to get into it because I, I'm trying to write, but I'm writing as, you know, an adult. And they're like, no, you have to write like a three or four year old. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I still got that. And it, <laughs> and it clicked and I went right into it. And it's like, yeah, because I can look at a two or four year old and say, oh, I know how you think. Because I've always just wondered and and I asked those questions. Like I, my friend's daughter was one, she was five at the time. She was one of my first consultants on, on the show. I was like, let me run these ideas by you. And she's like, okay. And I talked to her. She said, oh, that one won't work. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, but it was beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, I, I, I'm glad I was able to hold on to that, um, to that imagination, that curiosity. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, it's what keeps me, keeps me going. Like there's always something to be discovered, I think. And um, as a traveler, you know, I, I travel a lot. And as a traveler, it's what makes me, you know, follow this trail down here, which sometimes could be dangerous, but sometimes what has so far led me to some of the most beautiful people and places that I've ever been. Mm. We're going to go to our second break, but uh, afterwards, because you just brought up travel, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. You live in two very different places, at least having never been to either place, I'm assuming, right? But but I want to talk about kind of how that fits with everything, because of course, in Seeking Asylum, you actually talked about South Africa. Now you live there part of the time. You know, I want to hear that story when we come back. Um, listeners, of course, you can go to my website, goodgriefwithcheryl.com, or the Good Grief host page for all my links to get in touch with me or to find my novel, An Ocean Between Them. And to find Darnell Walker, you can go to darnellwalker.com. Back after the break. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to goodgriefwithcheryl at gmail.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Darnell Lamont Walker about his death doula and children's writing work. And before the break, Darnell, um, I was expressing some curiosity about your um, two living places, which are quite far apart in the world, and the way in which uh, I'm assuming there's some connection between that Seeking Asylum movie you made, the first movie, and at some point experiencing South Africa, go actually going there. I Did you go there during the filming of that or later? Oh, strange, uh, strangely enough, I didn't. Um, it wasn't on my list. Uh, and, and even filming that, it, it wasn't intentional at all. Like I said, it was more so I had already booked a trip to uh, Amsterdam and I was going to hit five countries uh, on that trip. Um, and when Freddie Gray was killed in Baltimore and about a week before I left, a friend asked the question, he says, you know, what are you going? And my first stop was Norway. And he says, what are you going to Norway for to seek asylum? And I thought, huh, it's not a bad idea. And so I grab a camera. So it wasn't even a planned. This was not planned whatsoever. It just grabbed the camera. And as, as usual with you, as <laughs> usual with my it's not a plan. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it wasn't planned at all. I, I, Europe was just the place that I happened to be in when I filmed it. And then, um, you know, time goes by, I edit it, I make it a film, put it into a couple of festivals. And then there was a festival called the Rapid Lion Film Festival in South Africa. It was their first year. And I thought this would be great to show in South Africa because they have very similar, uh, happenings you know um there and so i submitted to the film festival i get accepted and i go to south africa and i i landed and i was in my uber on my way to the where i was couch surfing and immediately like i just felt this connection to this place and i i just can't even i can't describe i can't explain it it just felt like this needs to be home and so Mm -hmm. i found i Looked around while I was there. I was there for about two weeks. I went to different neighborhoods, explored, and I said, this is where I need to live. And I found an apartment, came back to the States, closed out some things, packed up a bag, and moved back to South Africa. And uh, it was just an amazing, I mean, the people, the food, the place, I just, it was it was amazing for me. Um, and then, you know, I came back, I accepted the job with, the not the job, but the um, opportunity with Sesame Workshop, um, where they taught me everything there is to know about children's writing. Went to New York, um, ended up leaving there, getting a job with Blues Clues, which was in New York. But then COVID happened, and I thought I could find a cheap apartment here because of COVID, or I could do what I've always wanted to do and buy a cabin. And so I purchased a cabin in the middle of the forest on top of a mountain on like a 
rushing creek and you know one of the greatest decisions of my life mm. um in the chattahoochee forest down in north georgia um and crazy enough i've added <laughs> like detroit to this list now um like i purchased a place in detroit which i you know like i said i'm turning into like an hopefully an artist space and maybe even an alternative um not an alternative to hospice but a place where people can come and not be so alone throughout the day um you know, as they have questions about life and death or at the end of their life or whatever that is, I'm, I'm researching at the moment. But yeah, and so these places are extremely different, but very beautiful. I love them both. I have no regrets about any of them. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping people come and experience it with me. That's that's so interesting because in the uh, in the Seeking Asylum film, you asked somebody, where would you go? Where would you seek asylum? They said South Africa. And the person said, um, because they dealt with it, I think. Uh, That's not a direct quote, but they Mm. actually addressed what happened. Um, I remember that. Yeah, that was um, uh, Amanda in in London. Um, Oh, gosh, I can't believe I remember that. I I guess it's my movie, but I haven't seen it. (laughs) Yeah. but yeah, well, of course, I was putting the two together, right? I read your bio, and then I watched the film. I was like, oh, that's how he ended up there. But it actually isn't. It isn't that at all. Subconsciously and, uh, planted. But once I got there, I remembered that conversation with her. And, and that conversation, you know, it's on film for maybe 20, 30 seconds. But it went so much longer. We're still friends. And uh, I, but I had literally just met her at that moment of interviewing her at that spot. Um, because I was there for a protest. And um, and yeah, she said, you know, I'd go to South Africa, you know, it's they're dealing with they have unique ways of dealing with what's happening. And I found that I, I got there and I immediately knew what she meant. Um, I found that they were very similar to the US. There's still so many issues that are happening there and so many reasons to continue to fight in South Africa. It's not perfect. Uh, but I do um, I do look at my time there, the time I spend there, I get to spend there, hopefully going back, uh, next month. Um, it's just, a, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing, a beautiful place uh, that I love so much. You get to be curious in a lot of different directions when you go to a lot of different places, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> put it to, put it to use, you know, uh, like even I, you know, years ago, 2015, I started a travel company. Um, where I take people on secret trips around the world because I I was ending up in these places and the places I love to travel and explore and adventure, I was ending up in these places and not seeing anyone who looked like me. And I thought I need to figure out a way to make that happen. Um, and so I created this company and so far it's been an amazing experience. Um, and hopefully we keep going. We've done about 90 countries, maybe a little more, um, in the last nine years. Um, but I hope we can keep going and see the world. Well, that sort of circles us back around to a, a real center post, which is that uh, all of your work, you want to serve your community. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that that was really... Um, so evident, exploring all of it. Um, and so, uh, especially because of all you put together, all the different threads you put together, 
I can imagine that you're very valued in your community in that way, that um, willingness to talk about mental health, uh, willingness to, to, to inspire and, and experience joy. Well, you know, all of these different pieces, willingness to sit with death, yeah. uh, not just birth, but death too. Um, that's such a beautiful uh, intersection in you. I, you know, and just the thought of being valued in the community, I, I hope so. I, I hope that's true. And I there's a thing that happens that I talk about often, um, and I'm actually trying to create a project around it, but there's this thing that happened where the community, they get behind you, you know, like, and it doesn't happen for everyone. It doesn't, every, the community doesn't get behind everyone and push everyone toward this thing, but for whatever reason, they saw something in me and they did and they did that. And so being able to give back, it's all about, you know, replenishing and, um, you know, you have to feed those who feed you, you know, and, and make sure that you're always able to give to each other. And so I'd, I'd love to be able to come home and say, yeah, you know, this is what I've been doing. This is what's happened. And people not say, oh, phew, you know, we wasted <laughs> uh effort or we wasted time on you or I never wanted that to happen. Um, so it's also your sense of responsibility towards um, what you've learned and been given? Absolutely. But I, and I think I'm thankful that it's not something I have to keep in mind um, mm -hmm. simply because the things that I've chosen to do, it all just comes so natural to me. Um, and so when I look back and I say, oh, cool, well, that worked out, you know, and and then I can really look at it and reflect on it. I'm grateful for that. Um, but it was never something I, you know, it's never a moment where I look say, I have to do this because these people are looking at me. It's just, oh, I did it. And it, it worked. And, and so you that that tells me that a struggle that 90% of the people that I work with have, which is um, fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. You don't have a great deal of that. No, I, I don't think I have much of it at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a freeing uh, place to be. <laughs> no, because I used to have it and I don't have it anymore. So. No. <laughs> I think I, I tossed it out at some point and that was it. But maybe it's also that 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 um freedom you were given and the and the trust. Um we learn to be afraid of judgment, right? Because people judge us and don't think what we're doing is okay. And you know, it comes from somewhere. I don't think infants are afraid of judgment particularly. Oh no, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So that maybe those are two are connected, yeah. Yeah, it comes, you know, in life as, as you're growing. Um, again, you know, in in the world, sometimes in in family, um, you know, and it's also what I'm trying to create. Me and me and my one of my creative partners, um, Eric. He, we're creating, you know, content that we're attempting to free children of that. You know, it's like, hey, listen. This is not something you have, you don't have to deal with this. That's on them. Yeah. And so uh, 
I'm so, so glad to be working in the space where I can show kids like this is not your problem to deal with and, you know, give them the tools that worked for me. Um, and so hopefully, yeah, hopefully that works. So it sounds as if you're, uh, one big thing you're doing is going in the direction of having more control about what you create for kids. That mm -hmm. if you're working on a particular show, the show has ideas and you kind of have to take that into account. It sounds like you're starting to just create what you want to create. Yes, um, absolutely. That's the, that's the plan. That's, uh, and that's what I'm doing. That's the plan moving forward. It's always to to do that. And like I said, thankfully, I'm I'm able to work on incredible shows that really align with what I want to do. And so I'm so grateful for that. And I'm learning from those people in those positions and saying, you know, how did you do it? You know, I'm working with an incredible team now who is like, listen, I'm just throwing ideas out there and, and hoping they stick. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to do too, <laughs> you know? And it's all about having the audacity to do it, you know? And so- um, Oh, what a great, what a great word to come upon at the end of our hour together, audacity. Oh, that's my word for the year. That's my, yeah, <laughs> my, my word for the year. I've, I've, I put it out there. I, think I like it. I'm going to borrow it if that's all right. Oh, <laughs> Let's Thank have you. an audacious year, huh? Audacity, my year's about audacity and collaboration. Any chance I can, you know, help anyone out uh, or if there's someone who could help me and push this thing forward, I'm all for it. Um, and well, just being audacious and, and going after. We've done that in this one hour. May may people find value in our conversation, huh? Thanks Thank so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time. For me too. You can go to darnellwalker.com to find Darnell. Next week, I'll have Marsha Gray Hill. Her book, Grief and Grits, is a memoir of her mother's life and her death from COVID. What happened with her mom has caused her to think deeply about how we think of growing old and needing care. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.